another episode of the I Am The Night podcast, our weekly breakdown of the legendary Batman the Animated Series. It's our 14th episode, and this week we're looking at episodes 15 and 16 of the show, the two-parter. Yes, you heard it right. It's a bumper episode again this week, The Cat and the Claw. With me, as always, is Adam Ray. Hello again, it's a pleasure to be back, talking about the strange dual relationship and the mirrored images of... The Bat and the Cat in this great two-part story. Really good two-part story. Another brand new character as well in the shape of the Red Claw, um, voiced by Star Trek legend, originally Captain Janeway, then Admiral Janeway in the later next-gen movies. And again, a lovely story with lots of twists, little turns, and uh, tips to the hat to the comics and to everything that's great about Batman and Catwoman, really. Very much so. The performance and the portrayal of Catwoman that we get immediately from the beginning of this episode, we see her in her element as the cat burglar and the greatest and most renowned thief in probably all of DC Comics. We see her scaling the side of the building and moving with her own pet cat as a scarf, sort of harkening back to Brilliant. the harkening back to her like fascination of cats that was put across a, another piece of media that was around at this sort of time, wasn't it? Were you talking about Batman Returns? Batman Returns did inform a lot about this episode and how she was seen, considering that she has a long, sweeping blonde hair as opposed to the cropped black that we would probably know her from comics these days, at least. Um, very, like, Pfeiffer-esque, Pfeiffer-adjacent. And I also find it really interesting that um, suddenly Carl's assistant feels a lot like Pfeiffer was before she went through the change in that movie. Very well spotted. I'm really glad you saw that. Because we've always seen, at least in the modern era since Batman Year One, Catwoman having like a little sidekick, a little protege in the comics. Obviously, it was Holly Robinson, named after, of course, Jerry Robinson, the legendary Batman artist. But here we have Maven, who did, did, does, does, as you quite rightly say, feel like a pre-Catwoman Selina from Batman Returns. And of course, yeah, blonde hair. Um, Penguin's look we've seen in this show was inspired by Danny DeVito's from Batman Returns, and so again was uh, Selina. But even though she looks slightly different, there's no denying that's the Catwoman we, we know and love. The wonderful thing about characters as old and as diverse and as rich as they are is that as long as they stay true to their roots about who they are, where they came from, and what they do, the outside is subject to change. I mean, even... Not necessarily in this show as a whole, but even Batman as a character has had many different looks across the day. He's had deceptively long ears mm-hmm. to the very much more squat ones he's had the bright yellow symbol in the chest been much more grey been slightly blue if you look back at some of Dick Sprang's artwork he's each character has their own ways that that can be portrayed by different artists and by different writing teams but as long as we clearly know that this is who they are and this is where they came from they're still as true as we know them be them now be them in the Silver Age be them when they first created that's the richness of these characters and we see that here and we see that this is still the camera we can get behind. Brilliant segue there. Thank you for that. Um, the writing, yes. Lots of writers. Uh, the actual story written by Sean Catherine Derrick and Laren Bright with a script done by Jules Dennis and Richard Muller for both episodes. Different director, though. We had uh, the ever-impressive Kevin Altieri on episode one, but Dick Sebast on episode two. But all these talents as you said, are looking back at that vintage classic relationship between Batman and Catwoman and, of course, lest we forget, Selina Kyle and Bruce Wayne. And that whole, as you say, that duality, that mirror imageness of 
Selina at first falling for Batman, then starting to learn about Bruce's charms and the whole surprise twice in this story of Bruce seeing first that the infamous cat burglar of Gotham is a woman and then the Red Claw herself when he comes across her. This whole story, both parts, is filled with little dual moments like this to show just how similar these characters are, which is why they make such a great duo in the comics. The one I found the most interesting was right at the beginning of episode two where we saw Catwoman enter from the dates, explain her her grand plans to Mavis as she gets into the Catwoman cat suit as we cut to the next scene and Bruce Wayne's in the Batcave putting on his bat suit, explaining his plans to Alfred. Very well done. Absolutely. We get that real mirroring of... They're very similar in their own ways, but they act on opposite sides of the law, which makes them at odds, which is a, just an interesting tension because they want to be closer than they are, and they have the potential, but there's just that one moral dilemma keeping them apart. And that whole thing is where I've always seen Catwoman as a heroic character on the wrong side of the law and Batman as a slightly villainous character on the right side of the law. I mean, that whole thing as well, that whole duality is one of their hallmarks. I I love that whole relationship. It's a wonderful thing that I think was probably done first in all of comics, now that you're pointing it out. I think this was done first in comics and done best in comics with Batman because... There are comparable ages characters, but Superman is probably the other old great titan of comics mm. across the world. But he was very clearly a vision of goodness, a vision of yes. law and truth and justice, whereas you get characters surrounding him like Lex Luthor, who's just the vision of Machiavellian genius trying to scheme and plot and manipulate. And you got General Zod from his homeworld, who was just bent on destruction and Kryptonian supremacy. For that character, goodness was good, and incorruptible had weaknesses that he would otherwise push through and villainy was villainous and there was no real redemption or chance for them with characters like these that we've sent these two stacked episodes around they do flim flam around each other Selina acts as a a thief and a criminal to be able to fund things for good causes Batman makes efforts to go save the innocent and put away the guilty but outside of the written word of law Mm. there's no clear right or wrong for what they do and how they do it but they know that within themselves what the way that they're doing it is still better than others which is why Batman can eventually say that there's a law keeping him from trusting and respecting Selena which is just a nice duality to be able to play with it's that brilliant thing where we always see that with many other comics characters, including Superman, at the beginning of his career, but he's grown and matured and become a much more complex character today. But like you say, in the beginning, it was clearly a case of black and white, where in Batman's world, again, almost from the very start, it was much more shades of grey. I mean, in the 40s, he did carry a gun, he did shoot to kill, and he fought vampires and werewolves every bit as much as he did criminals. And uh, Professor Hugo Strange did his monster men in the start, and then, of course, because of censorship, whatever else, you've got the camp Batman of the 50s. But that's the beauty. Like you said, the character, long ears, short ears, black cape, blue cape. He's one of the most adaptable and diverse characters ever, which is probably why he's the most popular comics character in the world. When you couple that with Batman's deeply diverse rose gallery, who all Oof. of them, all of them, except yes. for the Joker. The Joker has no help. The Joker is pure evil, but I love him. Everyone else... 
has something that makes you pause and think, oh, okay, the Riddler had a troublesome childhood and didn't know how to handle his intelligence. Russell Ghoul, you can see that he maybe a clear out wouldn't be the worst, even though you should never think about mm-hmm. having a clear out. Mm-hmm. Um, Bane was a tortured prisoner of war. There are things you can empathize with all of his villains, but in other comics characters, good is good and bad is bad. But you can play with that kind of moral gray area with Batman, which is what I think is his strongest appeal is. And I love the fact that we are seeing, um, and I'd love to hear Batman, for, or now former Batman writer Tom King's thoughts on this. So did did Batman and Selina meet on the boat? Did they meet in the street? Or did they actually meet on the rooftops in this episode? Was that the first time Batman and Catwoman met? But what a meeting it was. Her, as you say, carrying the wonderful Isis, who I'm madly in love with again after this episode, and a legion of cats in her apartment. And like you said, she may be a villain, she may be a thief, but she's going towards helping endangered species, she clearly is an animal lover, and she doesn't really hurt human beings in her quest. Oh. So There is a sort a of villain. Yeah, there's a sort of honour to the way she does things and what she does things for. It's just that there's a question of whether or not she's doing it for the right the right way because she's funding her philanthropy with stolen jewelry. But mm. then again, that's also just her using her skills in a particular sort of way, which is something I think Batman can respect and something Batman is doing, but he has that capital behind him so that he wouldn't need to transgress outside the law and outside of people's properties. Good call on the law thing. And again, it brings us to that point of being outside it and the characters that are beyond redemption the other character, Red Claw, that again is a character I see as beyond redemption. She has no redeemable qualities whatsoever. She is a terrorist in every way, shape and form and brilliantly portrayed by Kate Mulgrew and a fantastic character design, I think. Very clear and very stark and imposing for a um, woman with the, the single shoulder and the mark just going through with a destructive intent but the clear confidence there's something quite imposing and something to be feared and respected at the same time about her look which I find really nice to see yeah very clean cut very powerful and her height I didn't realise it again until re-watching this episode with you tonight that physically she's way bigger than Selena and almost on a level with Batman and the way she kicks Selina around at the end of episode two, clearly a force to be reckoned with physically as well as in, in, in her evil and her psychosis. She's been around the world doing whatever she was doing to spread her cause for wanton destruction. So she's been very well versed in knowing how to lay down someone that gets in her way and her planning and the people behind her make her a force to truly be reckoned with, which is why I think it was nice because we got two heroic villains dubious heroes to have to defeat her in the end Mm -hmm. we got both Batman Batman and Catwoman coming together for this story and what I do love is the way both these women are so positively portrayed and right from the beginning Selina says I'm no damsel in distress and like we said Red Claw irredeemable but powerful and really impressive 
this isn't like one of those villains that clearly just uses I don't know her feminine wiles or, or femininity or sexuality to, to do her cause I mean the fact that the criminal underworld and right from the beginning Jim Gordon was saying we still don't know who this Red Claw guy is hmm. and then Batman's honest surprise and I don't think it's chauvinistic or misogynistic it's just an actual surprise but his line just is the ultimate equaliser I'm an equal opportunities crime fighter brilliantly done Which, really cleverly yeah. done it uh, harkens back to a later Batman animation show from um, Batman the Brave and the Bold where he says some favourite no, uh, yeah our other favourite still a delightful fun show where where the that line sort of evolved into the hammer of justice is unisex. Yes, which absolutely. makes makes a bit less sense, but it's still just as fun and still gets the message across. Yeah, um, of its day, I would say that this is still a really strong way to portray oh. really powerful female figures. Definitely. If it would be done now, I'd say there would be less of a need to dwell on the fact that oh, yes. the distinction is what oh the women yeah. yeah. We can't fault them for that. This is a, still a 25, 26-year-old piece of media. And it is a big thing for it to be done then and still th- of an extent a thing to be done now. But something to just like bring it forward now and for something to be aware of if it were being recast then dwelling on that difference isn't something you should be doing. Well, I think as well Batman um, gets a taste of his own medicine in that respect with after Selina's first kiss and the blushing Batman. I yeah. totally forgot about that. And it's brilliant. It actually made me chuckle out loud when that happened. It's that because... I think that happened because uh, Bruce Wayne has spent so much time practicing that face mm-hmm. and that persona. For something to actually come along and break it was a genuine surprise and he let himself enjoy it because yeah. that sort of attention of, oh, pretty ladies. Everyone gets that. Yeah. Everyone gets that. And he was able to let that shine through visibly. And it was a nice rewarding thing for him, which is why it hit him so hard, this connection between him and this. And this I woman. think it was just as rewarding for us, really, because we get, just from that tiny little scene, again, brilliantly written and portrayed, that Batman, from the start, there's something special about Selina. There's something special about Catwoman. That feeling, if there was any doubt or wasn't sure in of you as mind, that was sort of made clearer in episode one after the car chase. Yes. When she says, yes. oh, I think I'm too tired. I'm not in good company around. Should we do this later? And you keep talking about the acting, but like this was one of the first times I've actually seen real good acting, acting from these animated characters mm. because we see like a period of about five seconds, which is a long time in the... Yeah. But in the actual like visual real estate of the show, we see Bruce Wayne sort of uh, look down, look around, smile, frown, smirk, nod along as he has those internal thought processes, mm-hmm. just like, yeah, okay, maybe we should take, maybe we should do this later. But he's disappointed to have to admit that we should do yes. this later because he wants to spend more time with her. I know people who don't emote that convincingly as and a they're person. Real people, yeah. <laughs> I just look at I just look at their still faces and their dead fish eyes, yes. and I'm like, "Do you have a soul?" Yes. But no, we get actual humanity out of these two-dimensional animated characters, yeah. and it's a wonderful it's, thing to it's, see. It's amazing. You don't get that in animation anymore. You just don't. Uh, and the whole thing where again, the writers are blurring the lines between Batman and Bruce Wayne so brilliantly. Because when she tries to get out of the date with Bruce Wayne, he says, uh, I don't give up easily. Mm. And that's 
literally he was half an octave away from going into total Batman voice at that point I believe well again we've seen the uh, the Batman voice is his natural voice oh yeah and he clearly put, here this week yeah and he puts on the charming cheery Bruce Wayne voice mm. but if he had let that sort of quibble around a little bit then um, it would have been a really interesting thing to see and another thing that really sort of another couple of moments in this story that sort of blurred the lines of who's who here which is one of the, which is one of the big differences I'll say about between him and Catwoman because I think as similar as these characters are it's important to look at these differences but I'll jump back to that in a second mm-hmm. You really pointed out the fact of just like the cat hair on his costume. Yes, it's like uh, I've never seen cat hair like this before. But in the Batman costume, oh, but Batman hats. So who is he? Who is he deep down? Because getting to that position as well, as he's entering the cave and taking off his shirt so he can don the Batman costume, he's already in full Batman voice while talking to Alfred. And yet he puts on the cowl, he puts on the mask, he recognises the hair, and he says, but Batman has. And I think that little touches like that, far from being confusing and and thinking, who does he see himself as, do show to me that they are one and the same person. And that duality in Batman is probably the strongest out of any of the comic book characters because Steven and Carl and Catwoman are more or less one and the same always have been but that distinction between Batman and him putting on Bruce Wayne got further blurred by that and I actually enjoyed it I actually thought that was a really nice touch another th- moment I would say when it wasn't really clear if there was ever a difference between mm. the two men and there was just such a moment where he could just flip between Bruce Wayne the charming man in the same brown suit to yeah. Batman was when he was in the car on the car phone to Jim Gordon with the Batman voice mm. talking about leads to find Red Claw and then picks up Selena Carl for the date and he's like ha ha I'm yeah. cheerful there's nothing going on <laughs> he can switch he can, it on and off he can switch it on and off because he's practiced that character so well but like you said and what I wanted to talk about deeper the big difference, which I think is so important to talk about for two characters that was just so similar, the big difference is that there is little difference between Selina Kyle and Catwoman. She just uses the costume for her identity purposes and because it's probably easier to skulk around yes. in a cat suit than in a ball gown. Absolutely. But the motives are the same, mm-hmm. the ideals are the same. The end goal's the same. You can't really gather if there's going to be a real big difference between the two Mm. women which I think is something they tried to play up in the Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Anne Keaton movie (laughs) because after the change in that movie she goes a little bit primal and crazy but when she's out of the mask she seems somewhat human but then goes like primal and cat-like again also, I think it's important to notice that in my notes I wrote her down as Pfeiffer spelled P-F-E-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-F-E-R because I cannot spell her name. <laughs> Very few people can. And speaking of spelling names, I admitted it. I, I knew, obviously, that Adrian Bobo plays uh, Catwoman, but I, I wanted to get the spelling from the end titles. And again, um, a Hollywood actress who has graced the screens for many a decade brilliant voice both feminine yet um menacing when it needs to be and no stranger to dc um tv or movies she was in uh, those uh, 
or one of the awful 80s Swamp Thing movies and as a tribute to that she appeared again in the Swamp Thing TV show from DC Universe and she's she's obviously Catwoman throughout this run and a great job she did too I'd say that's very much true she's been able to put the feminine strength that the character sorely deserves and sorely needs and we have to because I don't think we've actually credited him enough Bob Hastings, Commissioner Gordon, again, to me, think back to when you were little and we used to read comics together and I used to read them out loud in voices. He, again, is the voice that I try to emulate when I read Commissioner Gordon. He's the stern authority figure, but also stays light enough that he doesn't seem imposing or stuffy. And this was actually a really good Commissioner Gordon episode. really was. He was in there in moments, which is... Until we get such times we get episodes that sort of focus on him, which mm. I think we're due at this point. Remember, I'm basically watching this fresh. I remember this show cr- no. uh, criminally little. So I think we are due a Commissioner Gordon's story soon, but you can tell me whether or not that's coming sooner or later. But as for this story, we got lots of really wonderful moments of just when they pulled over that armoured truck that was just, like, trying to escape the cops. Mm. He lets the rather uniformed officers go and arrest those... go and arrest the Red Claws agents. But he wanders off to the alleyway and starts talking to the... starts talking to the darkness because he knows that Batman's there. And he has that secret telephone there in a locked drawer in his desk because he knows that's the phone that he can talk to Batman on. And that was the phone that was connected to the car phone in Bruce Wayne's car. We've seen enough now that there's been enough of a jump in time between when this show started to now that Batman's still not trusted, but still someone we can listen to and rely on. But he is by Jim. He is by Jim, which is why I want to say that there's this is a this is a show that's like maybe like a few months to a year removed from year one. I don't even think that. I think it's weeks. I think it could almost follow on directly from. So you think Leather, so you think Leather Wings was just like a few weeks after year one yeah. where that, where Jim Gordon just looked at some biker and said, you know, I'm practically blind without my glasses. Yes, exactly that. I, I think that exact thing. Because the level of trust in the fact that, like you said, he brushed away his own police force because he knew Batman was in the alley. He stood with his back to the alley and spoke to his friend. Yeah. And that's the brilliant thing I get. He's not just Batman's, his henchman to do his dirty works with, with things where, where Lord doesn't let him get justice. They are equal partners. And that is just so beautifully handled in this episode by that one excellent scene. And, and, and the scene with the, with, the, with the phone as well. And Bob Hastings, the way he can go from that almost paternal concern at times for Montoya and Bullock and, and his team to that camaraderie with Batman and his absolute sarcasm to the general on the phone in this yeah. episode. He's just fantastic. It's because I think the way he plays this character, something that just came to me, something the way he plays this character perfectly sums up the way he, their whole relationship has been defined yeah. since the beginning. It's because... As, com- as police commissioner, he is an absolute figure of authority within the police. He knows the logistics of being able to operate a sting or a drug bust. He knows how to coordinate every single officer, and he knows the ins and outs of being able to root out anyone who can't be trusted. But as soon as Batman shows up, he defers all the power and authority and respect and judgment to Batman. 
he knows that Batman can truly handle situations that are just far greater than the police, even though mm-hmm. he is the most senior figure of authority in the entire police force. He knows to let Batman handle it because Batman can handle it. And it's weird. It's really rewarding to see like a figure of that kind of judicial power yes. defer to someone in the bat costume. Mm-hmm. But this actor and this portrayal of it does it so perfectly as he sort of switches into a lower, lighter candor and explains things more. Whereas when he's in full commission mode, he's usually there in a much higher, sharper, yes. giving orders. Spot on. Yeah. Totally agree with you. Yeah. And it's, it's a really, really good observation and a character that has been as well realized. And we say it every week in this show as he ever has been. In fact, I would say the, this Commissioner Gordon is the best. As a Bar none. as a real vision of it, yes, I'd say he gives you everything I would want from the role in the dynamic. He gets the authority, but also the reverence, mm. and knows how to get the best result, and that includes letting Batman handle it a great deal of the time, so that the police can go in and clean up and handle. I would still give a lot of respect to Gary Oldman, though, personally. Oh, yes, he's the live action, definitely, no no doubt, he's the best Commissioner Gordon. Um, Pat Hingle, I'm sorry, you're a wonderful man and a wonderful actor, but your Commissioner Gordon in, in the Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher films was... No, 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 let's not. Oh, oh and, so sad. And we've not seen enough of... Oh, his name's for J.K. Simmons. That's the badger. Agreed. But we've got another great uh, Commissioner Gordon coming our way in Matt Reeves' film in Jeffrey Wright I'm really looking forward to that because he's a terrific actor but we digress I want to go back to this episode and I have to mention again some beautiful little story touches in uh, Multigon's Mr Stern and the arrival in his office and just the simple thing where we know already Selina is someone who wants to preserve wildlife she cares about animals and you go to his office and all it is is heads and trophies. And clearly, in just a few seconds, that automatically lets you know this ain't a nice guy. This is someone who is completely the opposite of Catwoman and the complete opposite of Bruce. Even though he's in a similar position of power, just by that beautiful little piece of storytelling and, and those heads on his walls. Uh, in a lot of cinematography, at least these days, uh, we're sort of being coded to not trust people who have heads mm-hmm. on walls because it's a kind of gross and barbaric thing to do in the age of, like, Peter and uh, animal conservation and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I My mind, for example, goes back to that one scene in My Cousin Vinny where... <laughs> Yes. where she shouts his head off about what kind of heads you going yeah. to shoot a deer no so we've been so us as viewers have been very rightly for the sake of our own consciences yes. and the welfare of animals trained to not like that kind of media but when you couple it with the way yes. silly has been sort of That's put together when you get someone that caring for animals and wildlife and the mountain lions and the second head we see is of a lion we're just like, yeah, yeah, okay, no, we don't like him. We don't like him immediately. Absolutely. With um, with uh, Francis Boyle, we had to hear him explain certain things 
of his attitude that make us feel like mm, he's morally ambiguous and is just a very corrupt businessman. We had to earn and we had to unwrap reasons why we couldn't like that particular shady businessman, but this shady businessman, we go right in with saying, no, we do not like him. I feel like because that was because we had a two-part story with yeah. a lot of things moving through, we needed to get that immediate gut reaction from the audience, and the direction did that perfectly. And it's like we said as well, that they have a brilliant knack with this show of getting a hell of a lot of story into very short episodes. And even though this was a two-parter, even though we got more or less 45 minutes of TV, the amount of things that happened, mm. characters we met, situations, relationships built, relationships put on a path that we know they're going to progress with Bruce and with Selina and this wonderful thing with, with Jim and Batman, that it still could have been longer, but it didn't need to be because it's that well made. And as a two-part story was handled, I'd say this was honestly, in terms of like story beats and following on bits of plot, there was remarkable handling between both parts of the episode. Yeah. Because uh, in episode one, we see the little tufts of cat hair, and we hear Red Claw talk about the train heist. We go into episode two knowing, oh, this is the train heist we're talking about. Oh, this is going to be a great dynamic action scene, and it really was. But then we get rewarded by remembering, oh, did you remember the tuft of cat hair? Mm -hmm. it's, it's there, and it's something that pans out to help Batman figure out who's who and what's where. So we are rewarded for seeing little details being able to carry over both stories. But something I noticed compared to the Two-Face story, because they were, again, another two-part story to try and give us the real vision of this character. We got the previously on at the beginning of this one mm -hmm. to catch up just in case you had missed it last Saturday or whatever back in the 90s there was a real feeling and I don't think a lot of TV does this quite so well anymore where you could still go into episode 2 having watched the previously of and even not necessarily having watched the previously of no. it still feels like a decent contained story absolutely absolutely that's more so than the Two-Face I think yeah, because it would have been nice to know the context of why Two-Face didn't like Thor or why um, Two-Face was so cared about his fiancée and her, her reaction. Yeah, I can say that as well. Yeah. We, I don't really think I can see a bit of mainstream media that can handle a multi-part story that well yeah, anymore. I totally agree with you. And, and the astounding part of it is that I actually think that taking off the end titles of episode one taking off the previously on Batman the Animated Series at the beginning of episode two and just turning that into a 40-minute episode would not hurt it at all. But the most surprising part is, and this really surprised me, you probably heard when I was taking my notes while you were watching it, is that part one and part two weren't even directed by the same director. But they're seamless. You mm. cannot tell. And with other episodes, we've seen like the big difference between the first Joker episode and, and, and yeah. The Wings. Kevin Altieri has got a pretty distinct style. He's one of the top most prolific directors in this series but um, Dick Sebast in part two seamless brilliantly it, done it, it's a very hard thing for them to be able to pull off I feel that there must have been a lot of coordination between the two directors yeah. in the storyboarding and like the early pre-production process because they were working with the same scripts and yes. the same stories and they had the same like character concepts and they knew the whole story 
So they just had to know, all right, cut it down the middle. This is my half. This is your half. Yeah. How are things going to progress this way? How's it going to progress this way? And it was handled very well. That sure enough, yeah, if you did sort of glue them together, mm-hmm. it would be very hard to see the seams either. Seamless, completely seamless. I love that episode. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, takeaways were great depictions of both the villains, if you can even call Selina that. A lovely version of Batman. Brilliant relationships between Bruce and Selina and between Batman and Gordon. Loved it. What are your takeaways, good or bad, from this episode? I'd say that this dynamic between these two characters is so big that it could have been an episode, two episodes of them dancing around each other, yeah. dealing with heists and trying to return stolen goods and trying to work out who each other are and sort of one-up each other. But I am so glad they didn't do that. I'm so glad that there was a looming threat that was sort of tussling with both of them that they had to come together with, still have that sort of flirtation and tit-for-tat sort of attitude, then deal with the common enemy, but then the thing that sort of keeps them apart kept them apart they handled the first real vision of Catwoman in this media perfectly honestly yeah absolutely and and she said it well with with Batman that um, the relationship is perfect in terms of their dynamic and their mirror image of each other but there'll always be something in the way and that's the law yeah. and Again, I've got to bring Tom King to mind with his recent Batman run where he's seen that she can change and he can change and they can literally come together within the confines of both Batman and Catwoman and within the confines of the law and their relationship. And that's something we are going to see progress during this series as well. And it's inspired the Batman Catwoman relationship in the comics and vice versa. It really has. It really has. So, loved it. Well, um, another great episode. And the beginning. It's the first step in the Batman-Catwoman relationship as seen in the animated series. And I can't wait to see more. I'm certainly going to see a lot more. And it's going to be as strong and as rewarding and as exciting. But I think we have got many episodes in the way until then. And I'm looking forward to them as well. There's a few good ones coming up almost immediately. And uh, as always, every week we'll bring you those episodes. And you can catch those along with episodes of the original DC Comics News podcast and the Spinner Rack, where every week my buddy Seth looks at the top five DC books that week, rates and reviews them, and then asks for everyone out there to give their reviews. You can catch all these shows on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. And you can get DC Comics News and Dark Knight News across social media on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and all over the internet. Adam and I write for both sites. Adam, how can they, uh, our readers and uh, fans of Batman and DC Comics, see your work? As said, I do write uh, quite frequently for Dark Knight News and for DC Comics News. You can find me on Our Frontier, our One True Pride and Joy, FantasticUniverses.com, writing about my one true love, Tabletop Gaming. You can also find me at twitch.tv forward slash No Ordinary Heroes, most Tuesday night streaming Dungeons and Dragons with my nearest and dearest. You can follow me on Twitter at IzzetTinkerer, I-Z-Z-E-T Tinkerer. And you can find me generally wandering around game shops in the middle of the night. <laughs> and you, sir. 
Uh, as always, catch me uh, mainly on Dark Knight News as editor-in-chief, writer and reviewer and interviewer as well on DC Comics News. The easy way to get links to everything there is by simply going into your search engine of preference and typing in Steve J. Ray. On Twitter, I am LSteveO at E-L underscore S. T-E-E-V-O and if you're a comics fan and you're into the world of comic books and conventions if you ever go to any Wizard World convention anywhere in the US use the code DCNews at checkout to get 10% off your tickets yes indeed we are sponsored by Wizard World you can get 10% off your tickets to any Wizard World convention by entering DC News at checkout and that's it from us this has been the I Am The Night podcast I've been Stephen Ray Adam Ray, he is the knight. Together we are the knights. And Adam, what does everyone need to do? Read more comics. And watch more Batman. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>